This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. At the top of today's show, we have a rather special announcement. We are produced every week here for KDVS, but we've always thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could get more closely associated with CSUS? And happily, uh, that uh, now uh, is a reality as we're joined by an intern from Sacramento State. That would be Letty Chavez. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Letty. Hi, glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you, uh, and we look forward to you uh, assisting how we produce things here. You're a journalism major? Yes, a Spanish and journalism major. I noticed you're with the Department of Communication Studies. That's an odd title, Communication Studies? Yeah, there used to be two different departments, Journalism and Communication Studies, and then they put them together. So Communication Studies is the broader field, includes people that like want to represent companies for public relations. Yeah, PR, and, uh, mass communications. Well, you know, I think it would be said the greater Sacramento area has two notable institutions, uh, CSUS and, and UCD. So I think, it's, I think it's great that right here on this program we're linking the two together. Glad to help with that. Oh, good, good. Well, well Letty, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You are from sunny Mexico, I understand. Yeah, I was born in Guadalajara, uh-huh. Jalisco, Mexico, and I lived there until I was four. And then we lived in Cancun for five years after that. And then we moved to Sacramento, and we've lived here ever since. Well, obviously, your Spanish is very good. Yeah, I'm actually majoring in Spanish. And um, next year, I'm either going to go to graduate school for Spanish, or I'm going to Spain for a year. Okay. Any long-term thought of, like, some of the Spanish language stations? I know they're, they're really big here in California. I'm not really sure about that. I haven't thought about it. Well, Letty, we're glad to have you on board. And Mr. McGuillan and I, being a, a, a two-person operation, could frankly use some help. We're, we're glad, glad to have you. And I'm glad to be here. All right, fair enough. So you'll be hearing, I think, more of Letty in the weeks to come, especially when we have some Spanish language needs, which I'm, I'm sure we will. And let us note that later in today's program, we have a couple of very good guests. We'll be talking to Joanne Fuller, the Associate Director of Common Cause, as a follow-up on something we mentioned a few weeks back, Sam McManus's excellent article in The Bee about how some local groups are trying to make sure TV stations are giving us all adequate coverage of political stories. And as promised last week, our featured guest today in segment two will be author Seth Shulman, whose book, The Telephone Gambit, Chasing Alexander Graham Bell's Secret, talks about some skullduggery that took place back in 1876 when Alexander Graham Bell got what has been judged by history to be the world's most lucrative patent, that of the telephone. Let us now commence the show as we normally do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is January 17th. And it was on January 17th in 1893, out in the Hawaiian Islands, that a group of American sugar planters overthrew Queen Liliuokalani, the Hawaiian monarch, and established a new provisional government with Sanford Dole as president. The real goal was to get to incorporated in the United States, something that was achieved a few years later. Although Hawaii would not actually become a state until 1959. On this date in 1900, Mormon Brigham Roberts was refused a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives because he was a polygamist. 
On this date in 1949, the first Volkswagen Beetle arrived in the United States from Germany. The little Volkswagen, or people's car, was designed by Dr. Ferdinand Porsche at the request of Adolf Hitler to be a workhorse car for the common German. And it was on this date, January 17, 1961, in his farewell address to the nation, that the U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower warned the American people to keep a careful eye on what he called the military-industrial complex. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Our stat of the day comes from the Pew Hispanic Center, which notes that amid talk of a crackdown on illegal immigrants, 53% of all Hispanic adults in the U.S. worry that a family member or close friend could be deported. Our quip of the day comes from a man named David Randolph, who said, Parsifal is the kind of opera that starts at 6 o'clock, and after it's been going for three hours, you look at your watch and it says, 620. And our joke of the day comes from Rodney Dangerfield, who once said, One night a burglar broke into my house. All he got was practice. Our quote of the day comes from the immortal H.L. Mencken, who defined a demagogue as one who preaches doctrines he knows to be untrue to men he knows to be idiots. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week, a couple weeks back, for Denver Broncos tailback Travis Henry, who appealed the NFL's one-year suspension for his failing a drug test and was then cleared by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell after hearing his arguments. It was, however, a bad week for Denver Broncos tailback Travis Henry a couple weeks back when judges in several states ordered Henry to pay child support for seven of the nine kids he has fathered by nine different women. And it turns out it was kind of an ugly week uh, a few weeks back for consumer confidence in the U.S. When USA Today revealed that some major meat producers and supermarkets here in this country have been packing chopped meat and other beef in packages filled with carbon monoxide, which keeps the meat looking red no matter how old it is. This ability of uh, carbon monoxide to bind to hemoglobin and not let go is uh, why it's also not good to breathe. And while the European Union, Canada, and Japan have all banned the use of carbon monoxide in meat packaging, our own FDA and the Department of Agriculture both say the practice is safe. Personally, we'd like to check with the toxicologist on that one.
All right, I must say, as I often do, I got a big kick out of uh, This Modern World, which appears in the Sacramento News and Review every week, when uh, Tom Tamara took a whack at, uh, at neocon William Crystal, who for inexplicable reasons apparently has a weekly column in the New York Times. The comic gave uh, 11 examples of the wit and wisdom of uh, William Crystal. I'll just quote a couple of them. March 1st, 2003, just before the onset of hostilities in Iraq. Very few wars in American history were prepared better or more thoroughly than this one by this president. Uh, my favorite, four weeks later, April 4th, 2003. There's been a certain amount of pop sociology that the Shia can't get along with the Sunni. There's almost no evidence of that at all. Our question is, how is it once you're called a pundit, you can't get fired? And, uh, you know, from the Only in America file, how about this? We have to return to this issue of the tiger attack at the San Francisco Zoo. Legal weasel Mark Jaregos, who represents uh, Paul Dollywall and Kulbir Dollywall, is apparently on a PR offensive uh, getting this uh, the 911 tape released and talking about these poor injured uh, parties at the zoo. Despite the fact that the San Francisco Chronicle found witnesses who, uh, who saw these knuckleheads taunting the tiger, the animal that apparently had a, a, a branch thrown at it, rocks thrown at it. And someone along the way climbed up on top of the cage because they found a footprint up there, also blood and one of their shoes inside the enclosure. A, a witness came forward to note uh, that, uh, that the, these idiots had been teasing the, the animal a short time be before the incident and, and felt scared and left the scene. Of course, the worst part about it is the guy that was fatally mauled was looking at, at, at the witness sort of apologetically like, yeah, we sure are acting like idiots, I'm sorry. So the Dollywall brothers get their buddy killed when the animal leaps out of the enclosure, and now they're trying to sue the city because the 911 response wasn't quick enough, and a zoo employee was diffident when they requested aid. I don't know. If you've ever traveled outside the country, people will at some point usually take you aside and say, can I ask you a question? Is it true that in, in, in America that you can sue if dot, 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 with an example being something like, you fall through the skylight of the school, you're burglarizing, and then sue the school because they didn't print a warning up there that this was an unsafe procedure. And you, like every other American, has to sort of shake his head and say, well, no, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that's true. And speaking of weasel lawyers, uh, I must say that uh, one, of the, one of the comedy moments of the past week was John Kerry turning his back on his former running mate and endorsing Barack Obama for president. To which we say... Let's talk about another bit of good news, some rather startlingly good news from a very unexpected source. On this program, we've rarely had too many good things to say about the United States Army Corps of Engineers because, well, frankly, we've been hard-pressed to find things to be complimentary about. But today, we should give credit where credit is due for doing the right thing. The Army Corps took a look at the levees north of Natomas here in Sacramento out in the floodplain and said they're less safe than we thought, leading to the Federal Emergency Management Agency saying it would place Sacramento's fast-growing Natomas area in a flood hazard zone, essentially halting construction of homes, offices, and stores until the levees are improved. 
If you didn't get a chance to peruse the article by Mary Lynn Vayinga and Matt Wisner in yesterday's Sacramento Bee, check it out. Evidently, FEMA is saying that, uh, that building projects will have to raise structures as much as 20 feet above ground, which, by the way, would put them at flood level if the levee breaks. If you happen to be out there dining in Hooters uh, on the day that happens, you're going to be under 20 feet of water. This was long overdue, and FEMA was prompted to do this after the fact that, you know, given the disaster in New Orleans in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, and the widely acknowledged fact that Sacramento is now considered to be the nation's great flood risk, since local uh, leadership, that's in quotation marks, uh, was doing nothing about this except putting gasoline on the flames, the feds had to step in. The predictably idiotic response of Sacramento Mayor Heather Fargo was to convene a hastily called news conference and say, I'm very frustrated and very angry with the Army Corps of Engineers and FEMA because Sacramento has really become the poster child of what to do right in flood protection. Quite interesting in this article, which I did not know, was that, uh, that the, the city officials are going to try and get uh, Congress <laughs> to say it's okay to build in a flood zone. And I don't know if you knew about this, but I certainly didn't. But in the 1980s, it was uh, Sacramento Representative Robert Matsui and uh, Davis Representative Vic Fazio that shoved through legislation that prevented FEMA from slapping building restrictions on much of Sacramento. Now, before this, we've been quite amused by the fact that, uh, that Mayor Fargo had uh, convened a meeting, I guess, at the, the Sacramento Convention Center with 600 of, of Sacramento's big movers and shakers, which I think generally means developers there, and talked about how green Sacramento was and how greener still it could be if we would just, like, change our incandescent light bulbs and replace them with fluorescence. Now, don't get us wrong, that's a good idea. It's such a good idea that even the U.S. Congress is passing legislation that's going to make that mandatory. This, uh, this show had Marcos Breton of the Sacramento Bee noting that uh, Sacramento is facing a $55 million budget deficit, has critical development projects pending downtown, and the mayor offered us this bit of wisdom. We need to change one light bulb to a compact fluorescent because it's good for the environment. Oh, and be sure to walk more and drink tap water to promote a green Sacramento. Noted Mr. Breton, there's no political risk in promoting the idea of a green Sacramento. It's like saying... We should all be nice to each other. He noted that when you have a room full of large-scale developers, as Fargo did, why not use your pulpit to educate them on how green building materials can be cost-effective too? Why not show them they can still make their money and build projects that are better for the environment? We'd go a step further. Why not preach them that it might be a good idea not to build projects that would be bad for the environment? If you, if you traveled through Sacramento 15 years ago and did the 80 bypass around town, you would have noted that the area that the mayor formerly represented, Natomas, was farmland. And it had always been farmland because it was in a flood zone. Now if you drive past, you may note that some of the buildings have ladders on the side, like some of the school auditoriums, because they have to serve as rescue stations in case the area floods, and you have to get there in your boat and climb on board and wait for someone to come get you. That's actually been engineered into the social structure out there. But the mayor would like to be thought of as being green. Anyway, I'm tempted to say, I, I just can't believe all this, but actually, I can believe all this. Because I apply that age-old rule of when you see something that just makes no sense and seems unbelievably stupid, 
If you look around, you'll find that someone is profiting handsomely from the situation as it stands. And of course, the people profiting handsomely are the developers out there in Natomas who have, uh, have people like city manager Ray Carriage saying, I'm totally outraged. I don't know how the federal government can do this to this city. Well, to which we would say it's easy to understand why they would do this. Go back and look at the footage of what Hurricane Katrina did to New Orleans. The Army Corps of Engineers took a look at the levees and decided that not only did they not meet the minimal 1 in 100 flood protection, it's estimated that the Natomas levees aren't strong enough to withstand even a 30-year storm, which of course every year means there's a 3% chance we're going to have 20 feet of water over the Natomas Basin. And I don't know if we fully expressed our skepticism of the Gulf of Persian incident that took place a while back, where the Pentagon claimed that uh, U.S. military ships were under threat from the Iranian Navy. They noted things like, they were saying nasty things over the radio and, and dropping boxes in the water. Well, subsequently, the Navy admitted that the small box-like objects dropped into the water by Iranian boats posed no threat to American vessels. And as far as these dastardly threats that had the Pentagon so worried they might have to open fire at any second upon the Iranian ships, well, let me quote from an article from the Navy Times by Andrew Scutro and David Brown as reprinted in truthout.org. The threatening radio transmission heard at the end of a video showing harassing maneuvers by Iranian patrol boats in the Strait of Hormuz may have come from a locally famous heckler known among ship drivers as the Filipino monkey. Since the January 6th incident was announced to the public, the U.S. Navy has said it's unclear where the voice came from. Said Commander Lydia Robertson, spokesman for the 5th Fleet in Bahrain, we don't know for sure where they came from. It could have been a shore station. Despite the allegation that there were threats made from the boats, a rather rudimentary analysis of the background noise on the audio released in the U.S., showed there was no indication that it was, you know, a radio transmitter on a boat. It turns out now that for 25 years, ships in the area know there's a guy out there who hour after hour from a shore station shouts obscenities and threats at passing ships. The article quoted a civilian mariner with experience in the region who noted that for years, quote, they come on and say, Filipino monkey, in a strange voice. They might say it two or three times. You're standing watching the bridge and you're monitoring channel 16 and all of a sudden it comes over the radio. It can happen anytime. It's been a joke out there for years. So uh, no word yet in whether the Pentagon admits that it's a Filipino monkey's uncle on this one, but uh, we, will, uh, we will continue to monitor channel 16. And now let's have a word from America's foremost political comic and our pal, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about the Republicans and their primary process, which is proven to be more confusing than 3D chess using transparent pieces. They just held their third primary in 12 days, and so far I've had three different winners. And yeah, that means I'm totally ignoring Wyoming, for the simple reason they're responsible for Dick Cheney and deserve to be totally ignored, if not flogged en masse and shipped to China to be covered in a lead-based paint and scuttled at sea by the FDA. <laughs> 
And if Fred Thompson wins South Carolina and Rudy Giuliani wins Florida, the Republicans could roll into their national convention this September with five different candidates, each claiming to be the true anointed heir to Ronald Reagan. Because that's a costume they're all choosing to dress up in these days. The problem is they can't find the whole package in one guy. They balkanized the Gipper. Social conservative side is leaning towards Mike Huckabee. The Reagan Democrats are big fans of John McCain. And the conservative money boys from Wall Street love that Mitt Romney character. Romney even appropriated Reagan's bulletproof hair, whose hard candy shells probably garnered the Secret Service's endorsement due to the added protection. You gotta consider Ronald Reagan lucky that he doesn't have to watch these Dutch wannabes, or he'd be spinning in his grave like a rotisserie chicken during a power surge. Not to mention being royally pissed off about being buried alive and all. The funny thing is, nobody's mentioning the word Bush. They're avoiding W like a pallet of six-penny nails in the center lane of our freeway. You even have Republicans talking about bringing change to Washington, which has to be a backhanded slap at the president. Unfortunately, it's just a figurative slap and not a real one, which would be a lot more fun and a lot more deserved, too. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Let's take a short break, after which we'll come back and talk about one of history's most famous inventors, Alexander Graham Bell, and a few things that uh, you may not know about him. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax. 